Hello there, welcome to the Comic Book Tesseract, the only comics netcast that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I'm Jason Poliev. Join me as I review and preview the world of comics along with other facets of geek sheet culture. As many of you know, Justin has had some family issues, so he's not going to be able to join us every week as usual, or every other week as he was normally doing. So i uh, going to continue on my own, trying to get some of the guys from the comic book shop. They were supposed to join this week. Unfortunately, some scheduling difficulties arose, and we're going to have to do this as a solo shot. That's okay. Got some good stuff lined up. Got some good books. Plus, we had free comic book day books that we're going to talk about. So I'll go ahead and get into it right now with one of those books that I picked up free comic book day, FUBAR. Which, those of you not familiar with the term, FUBAR actually stands for Fucked Up Beyond All Repair. Some people say recognition. So, uh, interesting uh, title for a book to put out. Uh, this is from FUBAR Press. And, uh, of course, the FUBAR, while it intends to mean that, it's actually meant to just be a name in this case. Uh, they have a series of vampire books that they put out. This was a, uh, or sorry, z- zombie books, I should say. This was a series of short stories that take place throughout different places, different times. There's George Washington fighting off the zombies. Uh, there are uh, soldiers in Afghanistan fighting off zombies. Uh, you know, Chuck Dixon even makes an appearance as probably the biggest name in the book, writing a little story at the end. Uh, there's about five in this book. It was a fun read if you're a zombie fan. You might enjoy this, but there was nothing new. There was no unique telling. And being that they're all individual short stories, there was nothing to draw you through for for, for further enjoyment unless you happen to like just straight zombie stories. I found I was getting a little bit tired of the of them around the end of the third story or so. But for a free comic book, it was good. It introduces you, does a great job of showing people what this press is about, so... I think they did a good job in their selection for Free Comic Book Day on what they decided to put out. Uh, and, you know, if your comic book shop's got a couple left over, go ahead and take a look at them. Uh, might be worth checking out. Uh, great way to get introduced to uh, a whole series of graphic novels and books that they put out based on zombies. Uh, next was from Top Cow, uh, Aphrodite 9. This was a great little primer if you're unfamiliar with the character. Uh, it's about the uh, green-haired assassin from the Top Cow universe who uh, is uh, cybernetically enhanced to be the ultimate assassin. And it introduces you to this world of the battle between the m- mutants that are enhanced through genetics and those that are enhanced through cybernetics and the war that's being fought between them. And uh, Aphrodite X, who wakes up in this world much different from the world that she had been set into suspended animation from. A great zero issue lead up into the the series. This is actually issue number one based on this, and they've said that they're going to be putting out issue number two. So that's really risky for them because there's going to be a lot of people that were unable to get this as a free comic book day comic because shops have to pay for these even though they're free to the customers. So they may not have been ordered in enough quantities for enough people to get out and get this. A great idea, and hopefully they'll actually have this out as a actual issue on the shelves as well for the people that weren't able to get the free comic book day issue, one that they can buy. Uh, Dark Horse is a publisher that's been doing pretty good with their uh, free comic book day books, and this year was no exception. 
There were three stories in the book that came out this year. The uh, first story was Star Wars, which it's interesting that Dark Horse is pushing Star Wars right now, as Marvel as uh, Marvel is likely to be the recipient of future Dark Horse comics contracts once the licensing runs out, since DC or since Disney bought out Star Wars from George Lucas and Disney already owns Marvel comics. It's likely that they'll eventually want to bring that in-house so that Marvel will be publishing the books. Uh, This was a nice little one-off story featuring Vader and Boba Fett and fits neatly right into the Star Wars universe that most people know but has no bearing. It's just a fun little story. The middle story of this is the story of Captain Midnight, which is a great introduction to the character if you don't know the character. Uh, and a great way to kind of go, hey, here's a fun little story of what you could expect in the Captain Midnight series that we're going to be putting out. And lastly is Avatar The Last Airbender, based on the Nickelodeon cartoon series. Uh, Dark Horse has been putting out uh, three-part graphic novel stories uh, following the end of the Avatar series after the last episode. They pick up shortly thereafter. And the first one was called The Promise. The first three issues were that story arc. And then the next three graphics are The Search. This picks up right in that same time period, uh, possibly between the two trilogies of The Promise and The Search, and deals with uh, one of the side characters, uh, May, from the animated series. Uh, it's a wonderful story, well told. It fits in with the universe beautifully, but it doesn't need continuity. And that's one of the things that was great about all three of these Dark Horse stories is you didn't need to be familiar with the continuity to be able to understand and read the stories. And they're great in that if you, they're nice little stories that will get you interested in these worlds and make you want to read more. So, uh, certainly, uh, or Dark Horse did a great job with its three choices. Even if it is a little questionable, I guess they're still trying to push and get as much out of Star Wars as they they can. Uh, the biggest disappointment for me was the DC issue. DC put out a uh, you know number one that they're putting out last story last son of Krypton special edition Superman book, and right on the cover is Jim Lee art of the new Superman uniform. And then you open it and you start reading the story and you realize this is a reprint from five or six years ago of a story involving Superman in the pre-52 universe wearing the pre-52 traditional Superman costume for a story that they're not going to be putting out any continuances of. If they are, it's a nice little red herring because of how far back they're going and how unrelated this is to anything happening in the current DC-52 universe. So... It almost was like their marketing department said, oh, wait, we forgot to put together something for New Comic Book Day. Uh, where's an old beginning of a story arc? Uh, throw this in there. It's got some big names in uh, Jeff Johns, Do- Richard Donner, and Adam Kubert working on it. And that was great when you're actually reading the series. And they're, I think they're trying to drift some of the name recognition, particularly Richard Donner, who did the first one and a half Superman movies. He directed the first one and directed most of the second one before it was taken away from him by the studio 
to be put to, to be edited and have the last shots done by somebody else. Uh, there is a Donner cut out there of that movie the way that Donner would have liked to have seen it done. So uh, I think they were trading on that with the Superman movie coming out and wanting to push for the uh, movie recognition of Richard Donner and the upcoming Superman. It's not bad to have done a Superman book for Free Comic Book Day. It's bad that they put an old story from the old universe that has nothing to do with the current books that they're putting out now. And as a promotional item, that's horrid. Absolutely horrid. Uh, but I will end this on a more positive note, and that's going to be the uh, two Valiant free books that they put out. The first being the Valiant Masters editions, uh, which showcase the uh, graphic novels that Valiant is going to be reprinting or uh, putting, actually putting out for the first time as graphic novels that reprint the original stories of the people in the Valiant universe. Uh, so if you've been reading Bloodshot and you want to know what the original story was, what, what the story that created him was, that will be told in here. Uh, They've got a number, they got a number of them that they just kind of give you the first couple of pages of what each of these, yeah, collected volumes is going to be, uh, including Ninjak, Shadow Man, Eternal Warrior, who we've seen that character show up in the Archer and Armstrong book that they're put, currently putting out. Shadow Man, of course, is the star of the Shadow Man book. Um, and the uh, last of these was Ray, volume one. Uh, some of the one of the other interesting things that they did with this book was they hinted at the titles that are going to be coming out for uh, Valiant. They've got advertisements for you know, other books that will eventually be making it to market this coming season. Uh, among those, uh, Quantum and Woody number one, which will be coming out. Uh, but they've also got a couple of older ones. Uh, looks like they're going to be doing Ninjak this summer, Unity this summer, Hardcore will be coming out this summer, and Eternal Warrior will be coming out this summer. So they got a number of new books that they're able to just promote with just full-page advertisements in here. They have a couple of interviews with some of the authors talking about what they're doing. And they've also taken some of their big events their tent poles that they've got going on. Uh, they have a, a series of pages from Harbinger Wars to get you used to what's going on in those books. They've got a couple of pages of the planet death from Exo Man of War. Um, and they got the preview of the uh, Woody and or Quantum and Woody book, which has been showing up in the back of the Valiant books. This is a great way. It's their big tentpole events that are happening in their books. This is a great primer for somebody that may be reading one book and not sure if they want to pick up others to kind of introduce them and show you. If you've read those books, it's not so much of a great deal, but it's free. So there's always that. Uh, and to see the advertisements for what they got coming, Valiant's doing real good if they got that many books that they're planning on putting out in this coming summer. And I'm looking forward to them, so... On to full on uh, comic books that have been coming out over the past couple of weeks since we last talked. Uh, 12 Reasons to Die, uh, starring Ghost-Faced Killa. This is from uh, Black Mask and uh, Soul Publishing. Uh, our comic book shop was one of a couple that actually had 
custom covers for this book. Uh, apparently this is actually, uh, featuring or starring the Ghostface Killer. Uh, this book as a, as a first issue was done in two parts. The first part is a history of the 12 guys that, um, will tie in through the other parts of this book. The second half is where the story actually gets going. The first half is much of a, is mostly a history and kind of setting a tone. Uh, if you've listened to Wu-Tang music, uh, there's definite influences from them. Of course, with Ghostface Killa, you know, being the star of this and, uh, you know, there's, uh, who was the other member? The RZA is also involved in this book as an executive producer. So, you know, with the Wu-Tang, you know, they got their influences from the old Japanese Kung, or Chinese Kung Fu films, hence Wu-Tang. Uh, but the, it also talks about, uh, you know, the record business one, the key to the story is searching for, uh, some special records. Unfortunately, I wasn't a fan of the art style. It's designed to look kind of old, and it's got a... Well, old isn't quite the right term, but it's got a very gritty feel, and I I couldn't really care for it as much as uh, I'd like to. The first half, I think, was done a little bit better. There's different artists throughout. The first story was done by one artist, the second story done by another, and there were also some interstitials done. Yeah, by other artists. Um, yeah, so they got the lead years by uh, Benno Tamura, the dead years by Gus Storms. Gus Storms particularly, I didn't care for, but art is a personal preference. That's one of the things that we, you know, get to put up with if we like a story, or uh, won't put up with if we don't like a story. Unfortunately, I didn't feel the story, which they had three people that did the story in this book. And it, it, it's really interesting because it's created by Ghostface Killa and Adrian Young. Story by Adrian Young, Say Garcia, and Matthew Rosenberg. And then written by Matthew Rosenberg and Patrick Kindlon. Which sounds like it was done by a Hollywood studio with way too many cooks in the pot. And I think it kind of shows because I didn't feel compelled when I was reading this book. And when I got done, I was kind of going, mm. Not really that good. So, I, I wish, you know, some success, you know, hopefully, yeah, with the names that Rizza and Ghostface Killa have on their own as rappers and through Wu-Tang Clan, you know, they'll bring a new audience or a larger audience to reading comics, both for their book and for some other stuff out there. Yeah, it, it's not given at a special, like, dollar price to make it worth saying, go out and get it. Uh, for me, it was a pass. Um, gonna go ahead and move on from a, uh, brand new comic book publisher to one of the most established, and that's DC Comics. Uh, they've had some interesting stuff going on, and, uh, the, uh, first book that I want to talk about, uh, really exemplifies that, and that is Batwing. Uh, with issue 20, uh, Palmiati and Gray have fully taken over writing duties. Uh, they've sealed off the story from the previous writer, and in doing so, they have actually completely changed the book. I talked about how last time they introduced a new Batman, or I think I did, uh, or sorry, a new Batwing, and this one they kind of talk about his personal motivations, which I didn't buy into, and they then proceed to, uh, 
introduce him to his new primary villain. Well, I suppose primary is a subjective term in this case as uh, he's just the current villain for this arc. Unfortunately, what they've done is taken a book that had some very interesting ties with the actual political nature of what's going on in Africa and was starring an actual African into transplanting a person from Gotham that, while has ties to Batman more directly, is in fact a new character or a very minimally used character, pretty much never seen before, to take over as Batman. So it's now a American in Africa. And they've pretty much gotten away from the actual violence and problems that affect Africa, the political nature there, which they were dealing with with warlords. And while they mention that a little bit in this book, uh, the previous ver- incarnation of Batwing that was a big, strong part of the soul of the book, now they're just in Africa fighting African-themed uh, villains. And I-, I feel it's a downgrade for the book as a whole, I love Palmiati and Gray as writers, and there's nothing wrong with the book writing, but it is a complete different feel for the book, a complete change of face for it. Which actually brings me to uh, what D- DC has been doing recently. Uh, they've got a lot of books that are changing creative staffs, and with that, uh, not just Batwing, but Suicide Squad's got a new writer, and this was certainly a... Uh, uh, interesting starting point for L.S. Cott to uh, begin his run on Suicide Squad. Again, it's it's new new writer, not an entirely new take, but it's more, this issue itself is more of a rehash of who are the squad, and it plays with Amanda Waller playing mind games on them, and there's certainly aspects of it where I don't feel that they've still quite got some of the characters correct and maybe for their new incarnations that works uh the the other thing is they've added in the unknown soldier which was from the palmiati and gray unknown soldier that came out with the new 52 and i'm just not liking uh that they brought him into this uh and there, there's another character they introduced at the end which is more of a spoiler so i'll not name that character uh but that's who it's mainly being explained to throughout and they, they, they deal with the psychology of controlling these people and there, there's certainly an interesting feel to that and I'll be interested to see where Suicide Squad goes uh, unfortunately Batwing is getting dropped because it's just a complete change of shift if you just want a straight superhero story Batwing is great but if you liked the element of political change and you know fighting in that environment of being surrounded by warlords and corrupt police, that is completely gone. Uh, and that leads me to one of the things that I think DC has been uh, doing with a number of their books. I was talking with Justin, who's been reading Stormwatch, and they've completely changed the team. He said there's uh, Apollo and Midnight are still there, and he thinks Jenny is going to be coming back, but most of the rest of the team has been changed out. And is a completely different feel. I think DC is looking at some of its books and is deciding it needs that the, the sales are falling too far. And what they want to do is try and give them a whole new feel. And that way they can try and keep the current base and maybe bring in 
some new readers by giving it a, a facelift rather than doing what they've been doing with a lot of books, which is canceling them when they sales get too low and then bringing out a new book, which the new books get a nice big jump on and then have the fall off again, which puts them right into the range of books that need to be canceled. The other thing is they're seeing less and less people bite into those new books that they're launching. Uh, however, there is one book uh, that is one of those new launches, The Movement by Gail Simone with Freddie Williams II on art. And I picked up this book expecting one thing. Uh, one of the promos that they had for this book had a complete ripoff of the anonymous text. Um, we will, yeah, And... I was hoping there would be more of that, a bit, bit more subversive. This is more of like a group of teenage superheroes who live in the hood that want to protect and take care of their neighborhood. They don't care for much else. I might give it one more issue. I'm not even sure I want to go that far with it. I, I wasn't as impressed with it as I thought I would be, uh, especially with Gail Simone writing because I tend to like her work. I just felt like this was too generic and not nearly subversive enough, not nearly as political as it could have been, which I guess coming from DC isn't a surprise considering that they're owned by a big mega corporation. They don't want to sub present that subversive side of things. Uh, now maybe they'll introduce more of that. Um, you know, but they, they certainly don't want to, uh, be promoting people that are anti, uh, Strong capitalistic businesses, because that's what they are. That would be disserving to their self-interest. Um, although there is a small market of that they need to cater to with that. So uh, I, I just felt disappointed with the movement overall. Uh, art was good, but the story felt a bit too generic superhero for me, uh, which has actually been a problem with a lot of the DC books, and it's part of the reason why I'm dropping Nightwing. It's now generic superhero. Um uh, I blame a lot of this on the DC editorial staff. Uh, and that leads me to uh, Batman number 20 with uh, Snyder and Capullo uh, doing amazing work, except for this story felt a bit forced. Uh, 19 and 20, I think they were told you have to postpone the big events that you want to do. You have to put this in continuity, but yet you're postponing the big events of the next arc that you want to do. Because we want you to have a surprise cover for the gatefolds that we're doing with 19. So everything had a gatefold 19 cover. And I think that subverted uh, the story. Who knows, maybe uh, there is a big setup and payout that Snyder wants to do with the uh, change that he made with Clayface in these two issues. But I think, you know, that, that's, that we're going to have to wait and see. Otherwise, I think it was a less than his best effort. Uh, not not that he's phoning it in, and it's still a good story. It just hasn't been as good as some of the previous bat books, bat stories have been from Snyder in the Batman book or so far. Um, and I think editorial again is a lot to do with that. Saying you have to do this type of an event, and so they were forced to change course just a little bit. And now, now with that done, hopefully with issue 21, they'll be able to go back on course. Uh, but I'm also wondering if Snyder's going to start to get overworked with doing the, uh, Batman Zero and Superman Unchained as well as, uh, his work on Batman. So, 
we'll see where that goes. Uh, that's going to be it. I didn't really have any Marvel books I wanted to talk about, uh, most of which are uh, still maintaining. I've been reading uh, Daredevil, and that's still really good. Superior Spider-Man is amazing. Well, okay, it's superior to amazing. And then you got Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, I'm still enjoying Secret Avengers. Uh, you got some interesting stuff forming in there. Indestructible Hulk, I'm hoping, is going to start to pay off soon. They've got some really neat pieces set up around the chessboard. I'm just waiting to see where they're going to pay off or if they will or not. Uh, so Marvel's got some good things uh, in the select books that I'm reading from them. But I'm going to go ahead and jump back to Image for Snapshot. This was by Andy Diggle and Jock. Uh, this was the last issue of the four-issue mini. So if you aren't able to find all four issues, I'm sure it'll be coming out in trade soon. Well, I wouldn't say it was a spectacular ending. It was a deserved ending. It was a payoff ending. And it wasn't a cop-out ending. And that's something, you know, one of the hardest things to do in a story is write an ending that doesn't feel copped out or cheating or doesn't just let you down. And while it wasn't as intense, I think the ending of this was done really well and it served the story, which is the most important thing an ending can do. So if, if you like a book that takes place in essentially the real world, uh, w the world that we live in, it, there's no superheroes, there's no fancy powers, uh, that may be a trade to pick up. Uh, again, that's Snapshot. Uh, another smaller publisher, IDW, at least smaller when you compare it to Marvel and DC. Um, IDW has got Fever Ridge, Tale of MacArthur's Jungle War. Uh, this is a book of, uh, essentially it's a fictionalized retelling of the events and, uh, it's done really well. They, they talked about in some of the previous issues about the island and wanting to feature the island and, you know, what the island looks like, the animals that are native there and what the people had to put up with on the island uh, as, as they're prepping. This is, uh, they, they actually, have done a really interesting thing with this book. In the first one, they start you off with a good story. The second one, they give you much more of the history of what's going on, Rather, which, if it had been done in the first issue, would have been boring. I mentioned that before. And now in this issue, they really do a full introduction to the squad that you're going to be following, and they kind of lay out who has what role. If you are a fan of the old-school Sergeant Rock Easy Company, this is probably the book for you. This is the type of book that I was hoping they were going to put out when DC relaunched uh, Men of War and we're talking about having Sergeant Rock in it. This is the type of book that I wanted. And even if it was set in modern times as opposed to in uh, World War II, it's, uh, so if, if you want a good war story, uh, Fever Ridge is certainly shaping up to be that book. And lastly, uh, I'm going to talk about... Uh, Harbinger and Harbinger Wars, I'll go ahead and talk about these together from Valiant. And the uh, reason I'm talking about them together is because they are crossover books. Uh, the third book in this crossover is Bloodshot. And Valiant has done an amazing job being that they're a smaller publisher and that they're doing it essentially with just two titles and the main arc title, uh, the Harbinger Wars title. They're able to keep the story 
well done. They each have their own boundaries of what side they're telling, but they're still each issue is pushing the entire story itself forward. Um, so it's a it is a well done example of a crossover, and it's just well done good storytelling. Uh, Justin has said it's not going to get him to buy Bloodshot, but he is buying Harbinger and Harbinger Wars. I'm getting all three, and it really does a good job with that whole uh, crossover, which we've seen Marvel and DC bungle almost every time. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, I do like is with uh, Age of Ultron, Marvel is keeping that primarily in the central book, and you can pick up the side books if you want, but they're not required reading. Um, here, you do need to get... Um, I, I don't know that you would be able to follow straight through with just reading Harbinger Wars, but getting at least one of the side books is going to catch you up and will give you enough information that you could get by with just two of the three, I think. Um, and even if you did skip, I don't think there's so much happening. You just have to kind of fill in the gaps of, okay, so that event happened. Uh, it, it is really done. They're doing an amazing job with the storytelling in all of the books. So uh, props to uh, Valiant, and I got to say... Uh, uh, they've done, did really well with choosing to use these as part of the tent pole for their free comic book day book. Alright, now that's gonna be it for the comic book review section. I'm gonna go ahead and, uh, head on down, talk about, uh, some movies real quick. We had the, uh, comic book, uh, best of and worst of lists, uh, last time we talked. And this time I wanna make a quick correction. Uh, when we were talking about the best of, I and I actually only had a list of nine books. Somehow the uh, number one book didn't get carried over, which is why Justin and I were arguing about Batman Dark Knight versus Batman Dark Knight Rises. And uh, while the difference is only 1.2 points, uh, Batman the Dark Knight or Batman Dark Knight Rises had an 89, and Batman the Dark Knight had a 90.2, making it the best comic book movie ever. Uh, for those of you that didn't hear the list last time, I'll just do a quick rundown. The Crow, Spider-Man 2, the uh, one from the Sam Raimi version, uh, Batman Begins, When the Wind Blows, Ghost World, Avengers, American Splendor, Iron Man, Batman the Dark Knight Rises, and Batman the Dark Knight. So uh, those are the top ten comic book movies of all time. Interesting to see all three Batman movies from Christopher Nolan making the list. Um, and actually Iron Man being a uh, first comic book movie with the origin story actually uh, still bringing it in above Avengers um, and yeah, Spider-Man 2, which didn't have the origin, falling a little bit lower. That was uh, Doc Ock in there. Uh, so if we go on uh, uh, to uh, talk about the Iron Man movie, that came out... Uh, Two Fridays ago, actually, at this point, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, probably even further. Uh, and uh, new Iron Man movie, really good. Uh, amazing improvement over the second movie. Uh, I like Favreau. He does come back to play Happy. The uh, Well, he was uh, Tony Stark's security guard, but as he even points out in the movie, you know, saying you're Iron Man's bodyguard doesn't get you a whole lot of respect. So... Uh, he does make a return role in there, of course. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, 
as Piper Potts and uh, Don Cheadle as Roddy Rhodes. So, uh, this does a wonderful job of actually wrapping up the Iron Man movies. It does end the trilogy, although while it is an ending, it doesn't necessitate that there will be no more Iron Man movies if they decide that they do want to bring the entire cast back, or that Iron Man won't appear in the Avengers 2, Avengers 3, however many Avengers movies they want to do. They could continue with that. They do bring up the events of the Avengers movie, so this does stand in continuity with the rest of those movies. And it does have a bit darker of a feel. It does go bigger, more explosions, more action, more combat. But all in all... Um, and, and they, they were able to keep a number of the features from the first couple of movies, such as, uh, showing Iron Man in the, uh, suit and the display on his face, the Jarvis display on his face as he's flying or using, using the suit that carries through to keep the continuity between all of the movies. Uh, just some of the small touches and it does have a small little scene at the end of the credits for those of you that want to sit all the way through. Uh, certainly not as cool as some of the other Marvel ending scenes have been. Uh, probably about on par with the one at the end of Avengers. The one all the way at the end of the credits, not the one at the end of the first bout of, bout of credits in Avengers, the, the one at the very end. And, uh, you know, but not nearly as cool as when they found Thor's hammer at the end of, uh, I believe it was Captain America. Or uh, could have been in the end of the uh, second Iron Man movie. Uh, those where they were kind of pointing you towards other movies were certainly, to me, a better choice. But I think that Marvel's still working out where it's going with the rest of Phase 2. So I can understand why they chose to do what they did in this version. Uh, or at least for this little happy ending. Certainly worth checking out. It is definitely a big screen movie. It's worth paying the money to go and actually see it on a screen. I did not see a 3D version of it because I don't think there's such such a thing as a 3D movie that's worthwhile except for Muppets 3D at uh, Disney Studios or Captain EO, if you can find it, at Epcot, which I believe they're taking it back out of rotation again. So, um, Lastly, I'm going to talk about Hemlock Grove, which is another Netflix series that's made specifically for Netflix. It's the one that they've kind of let run under the table. And in part, that's because of what it deals with. Um, it has Eli Roth as executive producer, and I believe he directs the first episode. Um, and Eli Roth is known for Hostel and other gore horror, horror movies. And you can get some of that feel, particularly in the first episode of Hemlock Grove. I'm about seven episodes in out of, I believe it's 13. However, it's gotten pretty slow. Uh, the first one or two episodes are pretty cool. And then it tries to focus on... Uh, characters, but it's focusing too much on how they're weird or odd or something quirky about them or about how they interact with people. And it doesn't feel like you're actually knowing these characters. They're still not having a... To me, they don't have a whole lot of depth in them. Um, now, I have heard that you could just, you know, after the like, third or fourth episode, skip to episode 12 and 13, and you get the payoff that you want. Because for the most part, the story is about a murder mystery of a girl who winds up being murdered by what people start to believe is a werewolf. And this is a supernatural thriller. There are werewolves in this. There are what appear to be 
other sorts of creatures of the night, potentially vampires or ghouls, succubus, uh, other creatures of that nature, although the only one that they've revealed so far to be full-on true is the werewolf. Um, there's even a potential Frankenstein in there. So, um, pay attention and you'll start picking up on those clues. And I think part of it is they wanted to kind of draw out and let you start to see and experience the things that could be for those other facets. Uh, I, I heard somebody term this as kind of like their version of true blood. And I, I don't know that I would go that far, but it does seem to be very much stuck in kind of an angsty teenage years setting right now uh, with horror overtones. Because it's, it's after that first episode, uh, maybe a little bit into the second and third, it's really toned out of the ominous horror feelings. So uh, I, I don't know that I could uh, suggest you have to go out and catch that, particularly if you're a werewolf fan. It may be worth it, um, but I I think it's going to be one of those things that you're going to start watching. The first couple episodes will be pretty good, and then it'll drop off. Uh, maybe it'll be worth it to you to finish watching it. I don't know. Um, I'm not even sure for me that it's worth it for me to finish watching. So, to let you know, uh, episodes come out on the 1st and 16th of the month. I'm planning on keeping this going, getting some new guys in here to talk about comics with me other stuff that we find cool, fascinating, interesting, uh, go ahead and contact us. Uh, we are found at about.me slash comic book tesseract. Uh, all of our information, website, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, email, Google Voice, all of that is available so you can send us text messages, emails, leave us voicemails, uh, Twitter, direct message, uh, app message, all of that is available uh Find it at about.me slash comic book tesseract. I'm Jason Poliff, and I'll see you next time we step inside the tesseract. <laughs>